Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And we have been doing a little bit of a series about college. We kicked it off uh, at the end of last year, talking about who is college for and what the 2016 election revealed about the limits of our sort of college for all approach. And in that conversation, we talked with Joan Williams, author of White Working Class. Jack, you're getting really good at this. It's my New Year's resolution is to be a better co-host. <laughs> well, that episode was great, and people should definitely give it a listen if they haven't already. We looked at how college means different things depending upon your circumstances. It means more risk, for example, for poor and working class kids, especially as college gets more and more expensive. And it means getting less out of your degree than if you're, say, the child of elites who's been groomed to go to college basically since you popped out of the womb. And it also means being either a class migrant or being somewhat of a cultural migrant in terms of returning to your hometown in possession of a college diploma and often not feeling like you belong like you once did because you are now straddling two different worlds. Well, in this episode, we are exploring yet another difference of what college means depending on your class. It turns out that if you are a working class kid, college is defined almost entirely in terms of economics or the skill that you're supposed to pick up by going. This would be defined by policy elites and the rhetoric that they use to talk about the usefulness of college. And and it's, you know, as the as as people have gotten more concerned about income inequality, about jobs leaving, about the demise of manufacturing, that conversation has gotten narrower and narrower. And so you see all sorts of policy prescriptions out there that involve ever more tight you know, linkages between what kids study and the jobs they're going to end up doing. And whether or not college is worth it for people ends up being reduced to a mathematical equation, right? What is the expenditure on a college diploma for these folks? And then what is the economic return out of it? And then the flip side of that is that for kids who have the luxury of a liberal arts education, they're the ones who get to go off to college and spend four years having their minds opened. Yeah, they get to read poetry and study history and become great writers and thinkers and uh, be exposed to all sorts of different literature as well as you know the, the STEM subjects, uh, but not always with a focus on vocationalism, uh, just a, a deep understanding of science and math and even computer science being studied sometimes from a just a purely theoretical point of view with no applications to the workforce. We've got a story to share with you in today's episode that really turns this narrative on its head. We're going to hear from a woman who was working as a home health aide in California, and she decided to go to school for one simple reason. She wanted to make more money, and college seemed like the best way to do that. So she started attending classes at her local community college, and something pretty amazing happened. Oh, and for complicated reasons having to do with life and employment, we can't use her real name. So I asked her to pick a name for herself, and the one she chose was Maya Luna. Here's Maya Luna talking about her very first college class. I tell you, that leadership class 
was the opening to just a just a, a magnificent new world for me. First of all, you had to go up in, on in this cast. You had to go up to the podium, speak your truth, say why you were there. So it automatically throws you into the limelight of school. And I, I, I was always a person who never would. Um, I guess I wouldn't. I'm not shy, or I just figured I'll take the challenge. But I figured oh, in school, I felt so insecure. But I figured let me go do it and see see what see if it if it fits me. I fell in love with school. I fell in love with the people that were teaching. These professors motivated me. They're like, why not? You can. Whatever you need, we're here for you. And automatically, I took to it, got into the classes. And what was funny is that my biggest insecurity was going back to school with a bunch of young people. And it turned out that I had, like, the best conversations with, with the youth. It inspired me. There's something so contagious about being in school and being with different uh, ages where everybody really has their ideas and you're at the bottom. So you're all really at the same, um, you, you start at the same level. This love of school was really new for Maya Luna. She hated high school and ended up getting a GED, but community college was different. In her words, she really spread her wings. She fell in love with history and anthropology, art, and especially the opportunity to learn more about herself and her culture. It makes you speak into your own culture and say, okay, so at that time, what role were we playing? Where were we at? Where, were, where was my culture doing? So that's what that opened, um, that's what the, these classes opened me up to. Researching, researching outside of what was being taught and not only accepting what was being told that this is exactly what was going on, but, but, but understanding that there was more to that than, than just what was being taught. If that makes any sense. There's a lot of self, um, awareness of culture that opened up for me. It's, it's been a beautiful experience altogether. When Maya Luna enrolled in college, it was really because she hoped to get a better job. But the experience ended up doing much more for her than just teaching her a technical skill. And once she started, her goals just kept getting bigger. I guess in the beginning, I always thought I, if I want to do something, I want to go into social work where I can work, you know, with um, in any kind of setting, working, just being able to be a help to any any group, anywhere. I've worked with the elderly. I've worked with CB prior to me being a caregiver. I've also worked in the LAUSD um, school. So I've worked with preschoolers. I've worked with um, first graders. So I always figured I'd work with, with in, in that type of setting where I'm either in a involved with the school or in some way that way. But I never really thought, yes, I could actually go into sociology and see if I could become a social worker. I never even thought that that far. And that's the whole goal, really. Now, I didn't, I, I just figured I don't know if I could do that. And now I guess I should embrace it and say, yeah, I, I will be 
Uh, social We're going to hear a little more from Maya Luna later in this episode. But Jack, what I love about her story is how it takes this idea that college for working class students is basically supposed to be vocational training and just blows it up. And this is something that our next guest has been thinking about and writing about for a long time. Tell us about who we're going to hear from next. As a companion uh, to this interview, I thought it would be useful to talk to somebody who's written really movingly uh, and powerfully about the importance of education and particularly about uh, the intellectual capabilities of working class folk and what education can mean to them in their lives. Um, So next we're going to talk to Mike Rose, author of Back to School, The Mind at Work, Lives on the Boundary, a number of other books. Mike recently had a great quote in the New York Times in response to President Trump's remarks on vocational education in his State of the Union address. I loved the quote so much that I'm going to read it aloud. Here goes. The danger is we tend to view these young people who are drawn to these programs in very deficient ways, Mr. Rose said. They value intellectual pursuits. They've watched industries die in their communities and know the danger of not being able to adapt to other kinds of work. Mike Rose, welcome to Have You Heard. Talk about education as skills training is everywhere right now. You've been arguing for a long time that this view is way too narrow. There is a lot of talk, as you know, about uh, the need for people to go to college, if if not a four-year, at least a community college, and to get uh, a degree or various kinds of certificates and training. And the rationale is always an economic one, that this kind of education, this kind of training will give people more skills, it'll make them more viable in this economy. They'll be contributing both to the national effort as well as securing their own, um, you know, their own economic well-being. And and hey, that's I I get that. That's fine. I come from a working class background. I know the difference it can make uh, if you have a secure job or a set of skills that enable you to to gain employment versus if you don't. So I, I have no beef at all with the economic motive for this kind of education and training. But what is so interesting to me is that that's all you hear. Uh, I, I cannot think of a national report or um, uh, a political conversation that says much of anything other than offering an economic rationale and justification for folks going off uh, to college or to get some kind of further certification or training. One of the inequities that we discuss so often is the inequity in terms of economic outcomes, uh, the kinds of jobs that people are trained for and uh, the salaries that they end up earning through those jobs. But it strikes me that there's another kind of inequity here, and that is that some kids, those who go to college, and particularly those who go to liberal arts colleges or colleges where their education is not explicitly vocational in nature, that they have this opportunity to explore, uh, to to wander, to discover their interests and their passions. And that while they may be getting some kind of economic return related to employment at the end of this, uh, that it is also related in some way to what they feel they're good at and what they care about. And that when we talk about 
pure vocational training, which is often the way we're talking about higher education for working class kids, uh, that that is not a part of the narrative, uh, the wandering, the exploration. And I'm wondering if you can talk to that a little bit, and uh, particularly about why that's so important. What interests me is that, in my experience, even folks who are going back to, let's say, a community college to to get some sort of certification or to get an associate's degree, even those folks who are going strictly for economic reasons, um, all kinds of other things happen along the way. They talk about, they, they, they say things like this. They say things like, gosh, you know, it's really good to feel my mind working again. Or um, they get really excited about the new tools and technologies that they're learning. Or um, they're, they're, they're thrilled about the possibilities that are opening up for them, not just economic ones, but also the kinds of skills that they'll learn and the way they'll, ab- they'll be able to use them and the kinds of things they'll be able to do that they couldn't do before. So you hear people talking this way um, that acknowledges what, what this kind of training is doing for their sense of themselves as thinkers and and, um, you know, and, and what it's doing to their sense of their own intelligence. Now, in addition to that, what you also see happening is that people stumble into things. I think there's something like, I remember one study that said something like 20% of people who enter any kind of college with a particular goal in mind end up changing that goal. Um, and let me give you a really lovely example of that. I was spending some time at a community college here in Los Angeles that serves a particularly uh, low-income population. And I was spending time in the welding program. And one of the young men I got to know um, was, you know, proceeding along perfectly well in the welding program, getting his certifications uh, and getting close to the place where he would be able to go out and get employment. Well, there turned out to be a summer program at this college for kids from middle school, from local middle schools, uh, to come and get involved in science and technology. So it was a STEM program. He got hired to work with these kids. Well, my God, it just opened up a whole universe for him. He enjoyed it so much. He liked working with these children, um, way more than, than, than anything he had ever done before. So what he ended up doing was he ended up holding on to his welding training, which would enable him to support himself, and continued at the college to take the courses that would lead him to transfer to get a four-year degree so that he could teach and work with kids like this. So this kind of thing happens, right? Um when you get engaged, when, when you're taking courses, when you're meeting people, when you're talking to faculty, when you're being exposed to things in this kind of environment, um, surprises occur. So at the least, you're getting the excitement of feeling your mind come alive. And again, these are phrases I hear all the time. But in addition to that, there's just so many other things you're exposed to. And some of that leads to significant career change. 
Mike, I want to ask you about the politics of all of this. Narrowing the definition of what school is for is a popular cause on the right. In fact, Betsy DeVos, who was the subject of our previous episode, has a whole rap about how employers should determine what colleges teach. And when you listen to Maya Luna's story, you can really hear why opening minds isn't at the top of the right's list of priorities. She's not just getting a degree, she's learning to make demands. Yeah, it's a nice point. So the more narrowly <laughs> the more narrowly you craft uh, a training program or an educational trajectory for somebody, um, the more likely you are to kind of control what it is they're going to be exposed to. That story you just said is one that doesn't surprise me at all and that I've seen again and again where um, it's not like people are, are politically naive. My goodness. I mean, you know, folks, folks know what's going on or they have a sense of it, but you take a class in political science and then maybe you take something else and you hear speakers on campus and, it can begin to sharpen your awareness. You learn more facts. You're exposed to uh, more complex points of view. You actually read some of the statistics about, oh gosh, anything from income levels to child poverty. And the kind of thing you described, I've seen happen uh, frequently where people you know, I hate, I, I don't like this phrasing. I don't want to say they find a voice. People always have had a voice, but they, I think, sharpen their voice or intensify it or channel it in ways that they haven't before and get involved in uh, civic, political, social causes and issues in a way that they might not have had the chance to do before. Mike, I'm wondering if you can think a little bit allowed for us about what it might take to make stories like the one we've heard more likely. Uh, what, what would it take in terms of policy and political will uh, to make that more commonplace? A number of the students who attend community colleges, particularly community colleges in areas that are um, populated by, by a lot of low-income folk, um, those those students have very complicated lives. Many of them have families. Um, many of them are trying to piece together a living with several minimum wage jobs. Um, one little thing that goes wrong can be devastating. Somebody getting sick, somebody's car breaking down, um, somebody getting deported. Um, somebody getting thrown in jail for a traffic ticket that they couldn't pay. One little thing can be massively disrupting. Uh, and people, uh, even if things stay stable, they often have to work complicated hours, long hours. They're not, you know, classes might not be available to them. Tutoring centers and learning centers might not be open when they need them. Um, folks going to the community college from these neighborhoods often have other kinds of issues that they have to deal with, whether it's health um, or social services, are those services available at the college or not? You know, there's a whole move now toward what they call wraparound services, where the college becomes a site that provides access to others, 
as social service agencies. The lives of many of the folks that attend the community college are way overloaded and complex. And the big question is, you know, how well does a particular institution respond to that reality? Some do quite well. I mean, we know that. We have research that shows that some colleges do better with similar populations than others because they figure out ways in scheduling and administration and in the services they provide, they figure out ways to meet the needs of their population. Mike, if anything, the drumbeat about college's career training just keeps getting louder. You argue that this conversation is way too narrow. So what do you think the conversation is that we should be having? I think the conversation we should be having is how do we provide a good basic education in the arts and sciences for everybody? Um, we haven't done a good job of this at all, uh, Jennifer. I, I, um, I mean, I always go back to the turn of the 20th century when in the comprehensive high school, for a whole complex set of historical reasons, um, they split the curriculum up into various tracks. One of the tracks was the college preparatory uh, track, and another was the more vocational track. And this separation of the vocational or occupational from the academic, I think, has bedeviled us as a nation for over a century we somehow are just not good at thinking at one and the same time about how you can provide a good, strong, occupationally oriented or vocationally oriented education for people and simultaneously provide them with a decent education in the arts and sciences. Um, that's the debate we ought to be having. How do we do a better job of this? That was Mike Rose. He teaches in the Graduate School of Education and Information Studies at UCLA. His latest book is called Back to School, Why Everyone Deserves a Second Chance at Education. And Jack and I will be right back with a few final thoughts. Listening to Mike talk at the end there about tracking made me think in anticipation to our upcoming episode with Tom Loveless about tracking, but also just how sort of relentless the tracking phenomenon is that we, you know, we tend to think about it as just something, it's something that, you know, determines what class you attend in in high school, for example. But the story that we heard earlier from Maya Luna and then Mike's thoughts just made me think about really, you know, there are pathways are a sort of popular expression, they don't go to the same place. Ed research folks often refer to the guiding ideal behind tracking uh, as social efficiency. And the idea there is that uh, you don't need to give everybody a full education, that that's simply wasteful. Um, and I think one of the things that Mike Rose talks about so powerfully is the fact that while there may be economic imperatives that we need to consider, there are also moral and ethical imperatives that we need to consider with regard to uh, cultivating the full human capacity of every person in this country. 
we mentioned earlier that we're doing a whole series on college. This was episode number two, and next up is a conversation with Tom Loveless about tracking. If you have other ideas for topics we should be covering, college-related or not, send them along to at HaveYouHeardPod. For now, though, I want to hand the mic one more time to Maya Luna, who gets the last word of today's episode. She's now one class away from finishing up a community college, and then she's going to be transferring to a nearby university to pursue a degree in social work. Here she is one more time. The goal is to transfer out and and hopefully get a degree in in social work and, and see, see where it takes me. And I hope to continue my education even after that. If, you know, I'm, of course, financially able and I'm assuming things can only get better. So, yeah, I'm heading in the right direction, I would say. I would say um, challenge yourself. That's basically what um, school is, is challenging yourself and just um, stepping up to the fear because it's probably the scariest thing you're going to do is for somebody to say to you, hey, take this test and let's see how smart you really are. And it, it, it'll make you independent. And really, it, how can you lose in learning? There's, there's nothing, there's no downside to it, I guess. That's the only thing I